love one another, forgive, judge not, fear not. It's all such great advice with beautiful outcomes, but none of those principles is a one-step process. So let's talk specifics, the messy step-by-step. Welcome to, but how though, in a bunch of other spiritual conundrums. Welcome back to But How Though and a bunch of other spiritual conundrums. Last week we started talking modesty and I received some fantastic thoughts and feedback from listeners. I wanted to read a couple of the questions and comments I got because they were super insightful. I got several comments about the concept I call forced intimacy and the major differences between forced intimacy and the concept of modesty. Forced intimacy is basically forcing a person to become more intimately aware of your body than they wanted to be. It is a social consideration. It does not have anything to do with modesty. Modesty is more tied to humility. Forced intimacy is more like TMI with the body. Socially, we overcome this with constructs like dress codes, codes of conduct, professional expectations of uniform and dress in certain organizations and institutions that are trying to create an atmosphere. And in order to create that specific atmosphere, they require certain certain attire or certain behavior to achieve that. The biggest question I was receiving was how to keep that separate from modesty itself, from the moral implication of modesty and from the moral side of dressing for someone else's comfort. The easiest answer I can give is just to do that with your language. You separate it by saying this is different than modesty. This is a social construct we are doing as a consideration. This has nothing to do with a a worthiness or a sexual purity standpoint, nor does it have anything to do with taking responsibility for someone else's thoughts and actions. This is taking responsibility for your own. Is it important to speak about this with our teens and children? I believe yes. The whole topic, the whole modesty topic, I think is super important that we talk about it in terms of what it isn't so that we can help each other understand what it is. And then we can all get the benefits and the power from what it is. One comment that really impacted me a lot was from a listener named Heidi. And I just want to read what she said almost word for word because she nailed so perfectly why we hang on to these external cues of modesty in clothing, why we hang on to these little boxes that we want to check off to see how well we're doing based on something we are doing externally rather than examining our own hearts. She also nailed the importance of making that switch, but how difficult it is. It's just, it's not easy. Here's what Heidi had to say. I love your take on determining modesty based on examining our intentions slash our hearts. As a teacher slash parent, It is more difficult to teach this way. It requires more from us in teaching it and more of a buy-in from ourselves or those we're teaching to internalize it. Instead, we revert to a more measurable law of Moses type teaching, drawing lines on the body and declaring, you shall not pass. As parents, it gives us the comfort of visibly seeing how well our values are being accepted by our children which I thought was a great point for her to make. That gives parents a lot of comfort. Then she goes on. For ourselves, it gives us boxes to check and some security in exact obedience. We like all that certainty. But certainty gets in the way of faith. With this certainty, we could check all the boxes 
without changing our hearts, without developing any sort of relationship with the higher power we believe we're doing this for, or a relationship to ourselves, which I think is overlooked. I agree with her. And then she goes on. All of that bleeds out into our relationships with other people too. We use the lines drawn in the name of modesty to measure where others stand with God, which is certainly none of our business. We use comparison to stack rank ourselves. In our society of scarcity, never having enough or being enough, I'm not sure we believe there's enough of God's love and acceptance to go around. Or perhaps we're concerned that the kingdom of God will fill up and we'll just miss the cutoff. We know we can't be perfect, but we find comfort in being better than each other. I love her bringing the point in of the scarcity mentality and that somehow we want to apply that to God, that we've got to earn our way into God's kingdom because there's a limited number of seats. And we forget that what Team Universe is actually trying to do is get all of us in there. There's a place at the table for everyone. They want to meet us where we are, but what it requires from us is a changing of our hearts. It does not require a list of boxes checked. So thinking of it that way, all of these principles we're working on are for our own examination. We're never to determine it for somebody else, especially where modesty is concerned because we have twisted it as a means of judging ourselves and judging other people. This week, I want to examine another side to modesty, which is modesty in speech. Scripturally speaking, words really matter. In Genesis 1, the writer describes the creation, the creation as being accomplished by Team Universe speaking. Let there be light. Let the waters be gathered together, etc., etc. In Hebrews eleven thirteen, the writer says, Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. I mean, making things clear and visible that were not clear or visible before just through words That's a big deal. That's a very big deal. Language is such a great tool. It's one of the most powerful and uplifting tools Team Universe uses. And we get to use it. Words can build and they can destroy. As far as how Team Universe views language, Jesus said there is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him those are they that defile the man. That's found in Mark 17. And when he said that, the disciples that were with him were pretty confused. In the Jewish tradition, there were foods thought to be clean and unclean. And if you ate an unclean food, that would make you unclean. But Jesus explained a little further in that chapter, going after the heart of the stuff we're talking about here with modesty. It is not the external thing that determines the cleanliness or purity of of anything. So it's not the food, it's not the clothes, or anything external at all that determines worthiness, cleanliness, righteousness. It's the internal intention. What comes out in our thoughts, words, and actions, and why, that's what we need to be paying attention to. So using language intentionally is going to be powerful for better or for worse. And if we apply the concept of modesty to speech, We need to think in terms of humility, why we use the language we use. And if it's about self-elevation or in order to cover or lessen our insecurities, that destroys our self-love and it destroys our connection to others. But by using language in a modest way to speak truth, to uplift, 
that connects us to others. It connects us to team universe and it connects us to ourselves. It's very powerful. We can apply this to all language from the stories we tell, the way we address people, even our specific word choices. Let's take curse words for a quick and easy example. Cursing in some social circles is considered offensive no matter when, where, or how the words are used. In other social circles, curse words are considered appropriate no matter what, and no inhibitions or restrictions would ever be placed on their use in those social circles. But if you're going to examine your own heart with these types of words, with curse words, you're probably going to land somewhere in the middle on that. There are a number of curse words in basically all languages. Profanity in its traditional definition is basically irreverent language. There's honestly a Wikipedia page for profanity, which is both hilarious and fascinating to me. That was a really fun rabbit hole for me to go down while I was researching for this episode. But according to Wikipedia, in the oldest definitions of the word, profanity refers to a lack of respect for things that should be held sacred. Even more interestingly, the word's Latin roots translated to something akin to outside the temple or language outside the realm of the sacredness of what happens inside the temple. But how do you define which words fall into that category? And would those words have a universal irreverent meaning and use every time those words were spoken? There's one form of cursing that's even included in the official commandments. And yet it's one of the commandments most frequently broken and broken by the largest number of people. What's the big deal? about the use of God's name. It's like number three, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Sometimes when we think about that commandment, we can paint a picture in our mind of this grumpy old God who thinks a lot of himself and demands that we show his title the respect it's due simply because of the way he thinks of himself. But that picture of deity is not going to get us very far if we're truly trying to connect to team universe, the members of team universe and our true potential with them. So why the commandment? Is it because it's just offensive to the members of team universe to hear their names used in vain? Does it hurt their feelings? Why? Why command it? When we really, really look at this, team universe operates on a zero ego equation. Nothing they do is just for them or their ego. Nothing. Everything they do is for us. There's no collecting doting worshipers because it makes them feel good about themselves. And then they tell the worshipers how they're allowed to speak about them. So as to preserve the good feelings team universe has about themselves, that's not a thing. That's not a thing. Every commandment, every suggestion, every promise given from team universe to us is a tool to teach, build, and benefit us. So let's look at the commandment to reverence the name of deity. What does keeping that commandment do for us? It does not just check off the box to show we're in the reverent category of humans or the quote obedient category of humans. Reverence for reverence's sake is nothing. It means nothing. It's one of those dead works that Jesus spoke about. But by reverencing any name of a member of team universe, it protects our connection to them. Think about this, by using their names only to bear witness of them or to connect to them in direct communication, 
the relationship can actually grow. You can have the powerful experiences that were promised to you. Prayer, meditation, connection to the divine. It's a very powerful connection and tool. And if you reserve a name of an individual for when you want to call on that individual, it helps keep our focus and see their love. If you were to substitute any other name and use it in that context of taking the, the name of God in vain, it would sound ridiculous. Like, let's say, let's say we took Jody, the name Jody, and people were like, oh my, Jody, you would not believe, blah, 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 blah. Like, it doesn't make any sense because Jody is actually referring to an individual. Jody means something. And when you take that name, and throw it into sentences where it doesn't make any sense, it renders it somewhat meaningless. But when you can keep it for meaning an actual individual, it helps you to maintain a connection with that individual. They are real for you when you use their name as a name. When we use their names casually, it diminishes our connection to them because it desensitizes our abilities to see them as actual individuals. We don't think of them as that person when we use their names as not a name. Or if we use their names as an expletive or a completely unrelated concept, it's harder to see them as real or see and hear and understand their involvement and communications to us in return. Much harder to see that if we're not thinking of them as an individual when we use their name. So then it muddies the purpose for us knowing them, which can then lead to a decline in a desire to seek them out personally. And make no mistake, our connection to them, it's personal. And as a self-elevation tool, if we're using the names of deity selfishly to elevate ourselves in order to be seen in a certain way, we lose sight of our own true value. Our power is lessened just by engaging in serving our insecurities. We lose our power. Because then we're looking for an external cue for our value and acceptance by others using language to feel accepted or elevated instead of relying on the internal cues for our acceptance and value. So then we, in fact, disconnect instead of connect to both team universe and ourselves. Obviously, there are times when speaking the name of deity is not irreverent or immodest. It's completely appropriate, such as when we are calling on them or when we're bearing witness of them. What about the rest of cursing then? Are there times when cursing Using a quote curse word isn't irreverent? Absolutely. And it comes back to intent. Much like clothing, it is not the word that defines propriety or modesty. It is the intention behind the word's use. On that Wikipedia page, it listed several uses, functions of swearing. It talked about abusive swearing, which is intended to offend, intimidate, or otherwise cause emotional or psychological harm. That might fall into the category of immodest use of language when you're using it to harm somebody. Cathartic swearing is used in response to pain or misfortune to express sadness. Dysphemistic swearing is used to convey that the speaker thinks negatively about something and wants to persuade the listener to feel the same way. It's a persuasive thing. Emphatic swearing is intended to draw additional attention to what is considered to be worth paying attention to by the speaker. So they are using a curse word 
just to emphasize a particular thing. Idiomatic swearing is used for no other particular purpose, but as a social sign that the conversation and the relationship between the speaker and listener is informal. It is used to convey a certain type of relationship. Isn't that interesting? There's also, I mean, there's several studies about cursing. One of my favorite studies about cursing was done at Keele University. The researchers Stevens, Atkins, and Kingston found that swearing relieves the effects of physical pain. Stevens said, I would advise people if they hurt themselves to swear because it alleviates pain. However, they also found that the overuse of swear words tends to diminish this effect. So, you know, use it responsibly. But that team... (laughs) That Kiel team won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2010 for their research on the ways that swearing diminishes pain. There's been a lot of other testing and research done on the uses and functions of profanity. But looking at those different uses that we just named, as far as curse words or any other words go, we got to take our language on a conversation by conversation basis and think about what our purpose is. What are we using our language for? It's such an interesting thing. All language, stories, anecdotes, word choice. When you speak, is it for a specific purpose to help you or others understand something clearer, to create empathy, to uplift or otherwise edify yourself or another person? Because if it is, that's what words are for. Use them, any of them. But if you're using language to demean, to desecrate, to diminish or dismantle, criticize, keep score, compete, condemn, you may be weaponizing your words. It doesn't matter if they're curse words or not. Are you using this word, that news, this example, in order to appear superior, cool, or more intelligent or better than another person? That's the time to ask yourself a deeper question. What is it that you want to prove and why? Does language that diminishes another person elevate you? I've always really loved words and communication. It's like the number one thing I use to connect to people. And when I was a very young teen, I also loved words, but I had a huge problem. (laughs) I used profanity and lies frequently to cover or alleviate my own insecurities. I used those things for self-elevation on the daily because I felt the need to appear higher. And I thought that lies and dangerous or irreverent words would make people view me in an impressive light. I would say the most ridiculous things. I would lie the biggest lies And I reaped some serious consequences from that type of language. I lost friends. I lost trust. I lost connection with Team Universe and especially lost connection with myself. Guess what I didn't lose? (laughs) I didn't lose any of my insecurity. So the thing I was using to treat my insecurities didn't even come close to curing them or even treating them. It really just made my insecurities worse. And I learned some really tough lessons about language in my teens, about how powerful it is and how harmful it is. And I had to flip a serious switch in my brain. I also had to start at a a high school where none of my friends were going so that I could start my reputation over (laughs) because I had really dug myself into some pretty bad holes. But when I started using language as a tool, 
for me to connect with people. The very thing that I had used, misused to elevate myself became the cure I was looking for, for my insecurities. When I tapped into the true potential of words, authenticity, truth. Now, when I use profanity, it's because I believe it is the best word for the job. I use it, especially in times of therapy or vulnerable or really difficult conversations. The use of profanity helps me lose my inhibitions, allowing me to be as vulnerable as I need to be if I don't place rules on myself about which words I can and can't use. It helps me to be a little more vulnerable, a little more authentic. But when I catch myself using profanity or stories or gossip or big vocab words (laughs) or impressive anecdotes to elevate myself or appear cool like the young teen Rach or when I catch myself tempted to tell a half truth or exaggerate or tell an out and out lie. I got to swallow the truth of my motivation instead of using a lie or some cheap form of language to get me out of those insecurities as quickly as possible, I got to sit with myself for a second in the discomfort of my insecurities to determine why I'm sitting there in the first place. What is this insecurity that is crying out? Because I know that cheap use of the language is not going to solve it. And if I've got to apologize and admit the truth of my motivations, I do it. Because authenticity is the deepest form of connection. It is modesty. And our words can be such a powerful part of that. That's all I got for this week. Please join again next time as we continue our talks about modesty. Also, if you've got comments, questions, or just want to keep the dialogue going, contact me. I would love to hear from you. These pretty and tidy packaged principles of the gospel aren't always easy to understand and definitely not easy to implement. (laughs) But Team Universe is so committed to helping us with the pieces as we go. They're always ready to meet us where we are and they're ready to answer all of our questions. Even, but how though? 